The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2015, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon was from Friday, June 5th. A collaboration of barrel-aged wild and sour ales, presented by Caleb Statton, Upland Brewing Company, and Brandon Jones, Yazoo Brewing Company. Uh, first off, I want to welcome all of you to Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here and uh, attending the salon. Uh, my name is Andy Sparhawk. I work for the Brewers Association. We put on Savor, also the website craftbeer.com. Uh, again, thank you so much. I have two rules for tonight. First of all, you have food and you will have beer in front of you. Wait until you're prompted. We're going to you know, learn a ton about beer and food pairings and these beers and how they're made. Uh, so uh, wait for these experts to be able to uh, prompt you to, to taste, uh, and we'll all learn stuff together. Second rule being uh, this is going to be recorded uh, for other people to listen to it later. Uh, so, uh, and that's Craft Beer uh, Radio, uh, and it'll also be on uh, craftbeer.com. Uh, so... If you do have questions, and I'm sure you will have questions, please just look for me and I'll run over to you and I'll hand you the microphone, or I won't hand you the microphone, but I'll, I'll put it in your direction and everything. Okay, so we're here at Savor, big focus. It's not just a beer festival, it's very much about craft beer and great food put together. And if there's one style or category of beer that you know really kind of ups it when it comes to beer and food pairing. It has got to be sour beers, and you have two of the country's best sour beer producers here, uh, Brandon from Yazoo and Caleb from Upland. Uh, please give them a warm welcome. Well, thank you guys for coming out to our salon tonight. Um, I have started to lose my voice, which was a terrible night to, on the first night to start losing my voice. Um, so I'm Brandon Jones. I, uh, I do the Sour and Wild Beer program at Yazoo Brewing Company in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, our program uh, started about three years ago. Um, Yazoo has been around since 2003. We... Um, Linus and I had known each other for a number of years uh, through different outlets, through home brewing and the, uh, the craft beer community in Nashville. Um, he had sampled a few of my sour beers and wild beers that I was doing out of my house in my garage. And we got to talking about starting a sour program at the brewery. So um, I guess it was about, we were at a, we were at a, a festival and we, we were talking and he sampled a few beers and a couple months later, he ended up emailing me, and we decided that we did, in fact, want to start a sour program at, at Yazoo. Um, I had one barrel that was in my garage, and it was one that Vinny from Russian River had given me that held the uh, batch one consecration in. So we started the, the uh, program with that barrel, uh, made a beer for a uh, winter warmer festival, and then proceeded to uh, just start making more and more and more, buying more barrels as we could. And uh, basically started in the upstairs of the brewery. It was, it was literally in a corner, probably in a room about this size. And we had barrels stacked up, you know, as tall as we could get them in there. Um, we can't get a forklift up there, so it was a little, it, conditions were a little bit difficult. 
Um, this past year, we've actually moved out of that area into a 7,000 square foot facility that is about five miles away from the brewery, um, where we were able to run a separate bottling line, packing line, um, and house all our barrels. So it's, it's more favorable conditions for what we're, what we're trying to accomplish in Nashville. Um, the uh, first beer that, are we doing the beer yet? Are we doing the beer yet? Or are you talking about your thing? Okay, <laughs> I just want, want to make sure. Um, so the first beer that we have for you guys tonight is a, uh, this is a Brett beer. Um, one of my big things is I always try and preach and preach and preach is that Britannomyces does not sour beer. Uh, it'll create tart, tart characteristics, wild characteristics, anything from pineapple to grapefruit, but it does not create lactic acid that sours a beer. So this beer here is our Belgian Pale Ale. Um, it's called De La Choux. Uh, translation is delicious, which I think it's delicious. Uh, and we've got it paired with a cheese that we did uh, with our Brett Saison that was a Sauvignon Blanc Brett Saison that a um, artisan cheesemaker in Kentucky did for us. Um, it's a St. Paulin style cheese, so it's a little bit soft. Uh, it's going to have a little bit of nutty, but very funky. So it should complement the funky flavors of what the breadth, the variation of breadth that we chose for the uh, De La Choux. So it should be a nice pairing. Oh, I've got a beer, too. So if you let this beer warm up, too, and I'm not suggesting that we sit around for half an hour because we got a lot of great beers to, uh, to get through, uh, but it, the grapefruit character, we used two different Britannomyces in this beer. Um, one of them was a very funky one that was in our arsenal. The other one was one that gives us a lot of grapefruit and tangerine out of it. And I felt like it really complemented our uh, Belgian Pale Ale yeast that we use that tends to throw a little bit of um, uh, white pepper and some lemon inside there. Want me to disco? All right. All right. You can. Um, so the bread that you guys have in front of you will be paired with uh, the first Upland offering. So um, don't eat it all yet. No, you can't eat it all yet. Walnuts? Uh, I wish our uh, executive chef was here. It's a nutmeg bread, um, but it may have nuts in it. Um, so, um, you, you see one there? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, if, if anyone has walnut allergy, don't, don't eat the bread. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but you shouldn't be eating your bread yet. You shouldn't be eating your bread yet either, right? <laughs> okay. Um, my name's Caleb. I'm the director of our sour operations at uh, Upland Brewing Company. Uh, we're located in uh, the rolling southern uh, hills of Indiana, uh, home to Indiana University. Um, and although we brought uh, mostly sour beers to savor, we actually have a pretty good-sized brewing operation. We, we brew about um, 15,000 barrels a year last year, you know, so we're a small, small regional brewery in Indiana. Um, and Two, two big beers that we brew are Upland Wheat, which is kind of a Belgian-style wit beer, and Upland Dragonfly, which is uh, our IPA. Um, and they're kind of IU graduate favorite beers. And, uh, of course, we had a little IU Alumni Association uh, dinner a couple nights ago, and uh, uh, they just came out of the woodwork. It was pretty impressive. So um, as to our sour program, though, um, back in 2006, um, 
in the in the middle of just brewing away, um, making lots of wheat and dragonfly, we kind of had the bright idea that we could get some uh, uh, local barrels from our local winery, which is Oliver Winery, it's right up the road from us, and try to experiment and make something new. Um, and a great beer style that really works well with previously used wine barrels is uh, the traditional Lambic style of brewing. And really from the gate, we tried to replicate the brewing process as well as uh, involving microorganisms that would commonly be found um, in those regions, uh, those regions of Belgium to produce a beer that kind of had a similar sour flavor profile. Um, so started with four barrels, really an experimentation. We didn't really know whether it was going to turn out for us or not. Um, and eight months later, we just uh, started tapping the barrels and we, we found it, it was pleasing to us. So. Um, the, re <laughs> the rest is kind of history. Now we have about 300 oak barrels. 25% uh, of them are bourbon barrels. Um, and uh, we just, we only brew about 200 barrels worth of beer. So only, only about 400 kegs of beer a year of sours. And they're all 750 milliliter bottle. So, um, but with that program comes a lot of um, ability to play. And uh, we do a lot of blending. Uh, we really only brew three base beers. One is a kind of a Lambic style blonde ale, sour ale. Um, the other one is Dantalion, which we have on the floor, uh, which is more of an Ode Bruin style with a little bit of spice, so like a Flanders uh, brown ale. And then Malefactor, um, which we only age in uh, previously used bourbon barrels, uh, which is more of like a really strong Flanders red style beer. So we only brew those three beers, but We'll fruit them differently, or we'll blend a little bit of Malefactor with uh, our base blonde ale or with the Italian, add a new ingredient, um, and develop all new beers. So um, we have a lot of barrels to choose from, and that's part of the kind of the creativity and fun of our sour program is um, barrels being kind of a single fermentation vessel that they are. It gives you a lot of flexibility on uh, what you can do. Um, so. Uh, not to ding the big brewery, which uh, makes fantastic beers as well, but it's kind of one big batch of beer, and typically it's two weeks uh, from start to finish for most of our ales. Um, the sour beers we do, again, trying to replicate that tradition, they're always aged in oak, and um, our fruited style lambic beers actually take uh, about 15 months from start to finish. So um, limited square footage, and it's always going to be a limited volume brewing that we do, so, um, and, yeah, and the first beer that we're going to do, I guess, am I, am I, should we do it now? You guys done with the Delicios? So, the uh, Delicios, I don't want to interrupt real quick, but the, um, that beer, one of my favorite styles that I always was able to find um, in Tennessee was Orval. And Orval is a beer that I fell in love with a long time ago, the, uh, which is, to me, one of the quintessential um, beers in the world. Um, it's, it, it would be, you know, it's, it's probably one of my desert island beers. So I've always enjoyed the dryness and the tartness. It does have a little bit of uh, caramel and malty backbone, but the dry hopping and the funkiness when the aged bottles is truly what I really enjoy. So... With this one is what I tried to do was to create a that aged five to six year funkiness that you do get out of an aged Orval bottle, but still maintaining the uh, uh, freshness of some dry hops in there. Uh, so 
Uh, they're bringing out uh, what, what we simply just call pawpaw. Um, and this is um, our base Lambic style beer that's been aged in a barrel on fresh uh, pawpaws. So uh, if you guys aren't familiar with pawpaws, uh, they're native to uh, North America. Um, uh, they're grown, the actual tree is called a Semina triloba, and they're a tall, thin-growing tree, and they're actually kind of a tropical plant that grows native in uh, um, the United States. Pawpaws grow wild, like, everywhere, and especially in southern Indiana. Um, they, yeah, I'm sure. They, um, they're a very common, um, and in a lot of ways, they're kind of a neglected um, uh, produce, because... One, they have pretty high perishable nature, so they don't really have a good shelf life, and there's never been a really big history of cultivating it uh, for use in, in uh, our food chain. Um, but there are some growers establishing some orchards for these things, and we were lucky enough to link up with one in Ohio, which is right next door to us, uh, to be able to provide us with enough uh, pawpaw to be able to do this beer. Um, Pawpaw's affectionately known as the Indiana banana. There's also, it's also called the Ohio banana and really any state it grows in. Um, but the trees get pretty tall. They usually stay pretty thin. Usually they don't get much wider than uh, three to four inches in diameter. But the fruits that they grow um, are very green, kind of mango looking fruit. And when you actually cut down the middle of it, they have large uh, longitudinal seeds. Um, which you guys may see on the bottle label there. Um, and they kind of taste, they basically taste like banana and maybe even a little more spicy with a little bit of the, uh, um, yeah, um, mango kind of character too, which is really neat. Um, and we kind of felt this, this was really kind of a fun uh, thing to uh, work with. Uh, I'm kind of in this mode of trying to find these um, native fruits that we really are not commonly using. So uh, persimmon we've done for years, which has grown wild throughout Indiana. Um, pawpaw, we started using it. Um, I went out and shook a bunch of mulberry trees last year. Unfortunately, that is uh, extremely difficult to get enough, like on a forage basis, for us to be able to brew a large beer. Um, but that's kind of my kick right now with fruit, um, finding stuff that's forageable, kind of readily available. Um, we, we do use a lot of fruit, and we try to always use it locally. Uh, when, we, when we first started our program, I was picking up the phone um, and calling Cisco a lot more often than I wanted to. So I'm calling a large food supplier to truck us California strawberries and things like that. And now, now we do a lot more where we, we base the season of the fruit growing. Uh, we have some farmers. One's uh, Heartland Family Farms up in Spencer, Indiana. Um, and Teresa grows us uh, all the strawberries that we've been using. Uh, we're going to get some black raspberries in this season, um, as well as uh, blackberries uh, we get from one farm. It's really nice. In southern Indiana, we get peaches from the Huber Orchard and uh, uh, Distillery, which is a winery and uh, distillery and a large uh, U-Pick kind of grower. Um, so we've always gotten... Uh, our peaches, strawberries, and blackberries, uh, we've, we've converted those to following the season. Um, persimmons are fun because we pay a guy in a van uh, about $5 a pound, and he rolls around with his family in five-gallon buckets and a tarp, 
and a big sledgehammer, and he's got his spots, you know. He's, he knows where the trees are. They're in there. So he's got his spots. He drives his van out there, uh, whacks away on the tree till the persimmons fall, and then he grades them with his kids and delivers them to our brewery. So um, kind of the, I don't know, super foraged uh, uh, food. Uh, some of the pawpaw that we used, we tried to do that through Indiana-grown pawpaws, but we just couldn't pick them fast enough. So we were lucky to find that Ohio grower that actually is, you know, planting them in rows and uh, trying to establish a new value-added uh, food product. So um, uh, it's being paired with uh, nutmeg bread. Uh, this was made by our uh, local bakery in Bloomington called Feast. Um, they have a bakery and cafe as well as a small restaurant on the south side of Bloomington. Um, so uh, we, we felt, you know, a little bit of uh, nutmeg character with the kind of banana um, and the little tart finish on this beer is uh, altogether kind of a little pleasant experience. So um, hope you enjoy. And uh, we, got, we still got more beer, right? We got plenty of beer. Okay. That's awesome. the best part about this. <laughs> I'm going to start drinking my pawpaw. I'm actually really excited about when we get to talk about the collab. So. Yeah, me too. I just want to keep my voice for that. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe we could segue with a few questions or something, or should we get on to the next one? I like questions. I tied this bow tie myself. <laughs> I'll yes. run it out there. Is Upland going to make any apricot sours anytime soon? The, uh, um, where we get our peaches from, they actually do grow quite a few uh, plums and apricots. So um, it's <laughs> the funniest part of this is, you know, once you open the fruit catalog, and, and this is really part of that flexibility of uh, what we can work with, um, it's never ending. Um, just, just produce and uh, um, apricots would be one that would probably work well because um, I know we can get it locally and... That's kind of a one driving factor of our of our program. I'm just curious in the uh, blending process and just just the thought process behind uh, what what you're thinking about when you're blending beer. Uh, just general ideas or your philosophies on that. Um, for us, we have 300 individual um, uh, oak barrels, so. When we do what we call our kind of whip assessment or work in progress, um, we kind of walk out, we stack our barrels three high, they all have the Vinny nail in the front of them and a little little uh, sheet protector around a sheet um, so we know what's in that barrel when it was filled um, and what the measurements were for that beer when we filled the barrel. Um, and that's all mapped out in a big Excel spreadsheet because Excel's a brewer's only of poor brewers only <laughs> method of, of tracking. Um, but um, so we have all those tags and usually when we taste, we'll, we'll have like 12 barrels that all originated from the same original batch. They're all separate. So we'll kind of like take a sample from the top one, the middle one and like the bottom one. Um, and then we'll sit down and do sensory. Um, and if it checks out on sensory, usually that batch era um, is about ready to be used. So we're definitely using a lot more tasting because um, we really we don't have that much lab equipment um, downtown and we don't want to take and run samples out at our brewery either. So We do dump uh, quite a bit of beer. Um, 
I think, I think this last year we maybe dumped 10 barrels total of the 300, brought new barrels in because uh, basically those beers, either they kind of get, the, the one thing that they I feel like they'll get is uh, it's almost like acetone or um, what I call like old grape malt kind of character. And once that happens, we usually pitch the beer and the barrel just to make sure that it doesn't happen anymore. Um, I have four barrels that turned to malt vinegar. It's really good malt vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> it's really terrible beer, though. Yeah. So, so I guess my question is kind of a follow-on to that one. So I know that you had had issues with persimmon in the past. Are there anything other than what you just mentioned that makes you think, like, okay, this is the point where I need to dump something and not release it to the public? Yeah, we've, we've dumped uh, not only beer in process, uh, but we've also, the saddest thing that we've had to do um, is bottle conditioning has been a real learning experience for us. Um, so knock on as many woods as I can. But, um, you know, we dose a little yeast and sugar pr prior to bottling to get the bottles to recondition. Um, that has failed to happen to us multiple times without any real magic arrow pointing at why. Um, temperature is definitely a key. Um, and some of our beers are a little harsher to the priming yeast that we use. So just through slow adjusting of our dose rates, we've, we've gotten better than we were, but um, I think I've got, um, uh, still we got like 25 cases of uh, um, a certain beer that we haven't been able to get to carbonate yet. And we've got to throw it all away, you know? So, because it's not right to sell uncarbonated or on the other side, the dangerous side is overcarbonated beer and that, that could potentially ruin our brewery and could ruin a lot of other people's uh, programs too so um yeah so that's our responsibilities brewers to not release stuff like that so <laughs> we got one, one one more over here and then do you guys want to go on to the next beer or are we still i know these are not quick drinking beers for sure all right go ahead now, the uh, easy question I have is you said you stack stuff three high. Now, standard breweries usually five or six. Is there any reason why when you stack barrels three high, is there a difference in maybe yeast uh, propagation or anything like that? Or If I try to go four high, it uh, push through the ceiling. So. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, if we ever do kind of do an expansion, we, we're going to keep in mind that we'll probably stack them five high, but no higher than that. Um, yeah, that's another part of working with oak barrels all the time is, as much as they're a traditional container, they're a very ungainly kind of um, storage vessel for anything. Um, and, uh, you know, we've even had a guy moving a stack of barrels, and when those tip over, it's kind of like, look out, because they can roll everywhere and uh, that type of thing, so... Yeah, I'd imagine I really would. So three high is bad enough. So yeah, yeah. And you got to remember too that not all barrels are sixty-gallon barrels too. Um, you know, we've got some. We've got punch-in barrels that are uh, that hold one hundred and thirty-two gallons apiece, and we couldn't even get the uh, we couldn't even get the forks underneath those to move them. You know, if they were stacked even double high. So I mean, there's you know a lot of times it's just your it's just your setup. There's really no science behind it. Exactly. It's just physical moving. It's kind of pragmatic. I think we should drink some more beer.
you want to do the So uh, while we're uh, waiting for that next beer to uh, get poured, I was just hanging out over here by the Spiegelau uh, booth, and one thing that I forgot to mention was uh, when you guys uh, go out, there's uh, on the right side some cool Spiegelau tulips, and, and you're welcome to grab one on your way out. Uh, so don't forget that uh, once we end, but uh, looks like we're getting more beers coming in and should be should be set Okay, so what uh, what you guys are being poured right now is the first beer in our collaboration and kind of the backstory on this and this goes back to um, Probably right when I was starting at Yazoo or right before that um, I have a blog that I've uh, written for a number of years about sour and wild beer that um, my intention always was just to kind of help pull back the veil on these beers because they are so different than what people um, expect out of a beer when you know you just don't blindly hand somebody a sour beer like you could blindly handing somebody you know a pills or something you know they've got this idea of what beer is so I always wanted to help people understand on the drinking side and the brewing side as to what sour and wild beer was so I, I did these interviews with a number of brewers. Um, Caleb was actually one of the brewers that I interviewed. And so when um, earlier this year, when he messaged me about doing a salon together, um, it, was, it was really cool to see it come around, come around full circle. Um, so I got to work with somebody that I, um, that I uh, learned a lot from back in the homebrewing days and uh, have enjoyed a lot of his beers. So getting to do this was really cool for me. Um, so Caleb came down, uh, when was that, March? Uh, it was wasn't spring, too, spring break. It wasn't so. too cold. Yeah, it was spring yeah. break. <laughs> it was the upland spring break. Um, <laughs> so they came down, uh, down in Nashville, uh, met us over at the uh, barrel cellar, and um, basically we just started tasting barrels. He had sent down some samples of uh, their base beers that he talked about, and, um, and we just started tasting barrels. And we started talking about the different characters that we were getting out of them, um, you know, what they were tasting like cold, what they were tasting like warm, um, the different characters in the beers that Caleb had. So um, we ended up coming up with uh, this first one here, which is called Three Degrees South, because Upland and Yazoo are separated by three degrees. So we're the south, north. We get along, so it's cool. <laughs> um, so this right here, this is a blend. Um, the blend that we came up with, it uses um, our, we haven't actually released the 
base beer of either of ours yet that's coming out soon, but this uses our uh, Oud Bruin style. And uh, one barrel was a bourbon barrel, the other barrel was a red wine barrel, and then we blended that with the uh, Dantalion and uh, their, uh, their Cherry Lambic. And uh, that's the blend that we came up with. So we tried to actually include two. The next one that you're going to taste actually does have some cherry in it too. So we really wanted to have a common thread in there too. And we felt like the cherry kind of tied both of them together. So it had familiar, a uh, familiar taste in both of them. So, you know, I feel like it's a pretty complex beer. You know, as it's cold, it warms up. It warms up. The uh, bourbon tends to come out more. Right now, I get a lot of the uh, red wine in it and the cherry, I think those tie together really well, really well cold. Um, as it warms up, the bourbon comes out and you start getting um, caramel, um, caramel and toffee, um, cherry notes in there. Uh, the cherry tends to carry all the way through for me. Um, I don't like, a lot, I'm not a big fan of a lot of carbonation in my beers. I feel like, especially in sour beers, that carbonation tends to get in the way of uh, all the flavors. So this one we kind of, we went with about uh, two volumes in it, uh, maybe slightly lower. It will, you know, I just, I feel like it's more of a sipping beer, this one here. Yeah, it's really great. This, this is the first time I've had it, so it's kind of the thing, you get, you get carried away with these collaborations and uh, you forget to send each other your uh, versions. But uh, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun to see. Um, uh, Really kind of a similar style, um, Ode Bruin to our Dantalian, which is kind of what it's modeled after. Um, and just just the complexity and layers you get from blending um, beers brewed at separate locations is uh, another real fun part of um, um, what can can be done with sour beers. And if somebody had the question earlier, know what you look for in blending, um, you know, when, when he and I were looking to to do the blends, you know, first of all, we decided on, you know, what were we going to do? And that was, you know, from the get-go, it was a, well, from when he got down there, it was a light beer and a dark beer. Um, so then we knew the basis of what we were going for on both sides of it. Um, then you start trying to talk about the different characters you enjoy in, you know, in a beer. Um, so you get to that step next. And then at that point, okay, well, I got this cool barrel here. So I mean, I'd run over the other side of the barrel house, you know, and pull a nail, bring it over. We'd taste it, pull it in. And, you know, by the end, actually, we actually had one of our lab, um, one of our... Uh, um, graduated cylinder. Yeah, graduated cylinder, yeah. We were pulling them out in millimeters or milliliters. And uh, we came up with this, you know, perfect, awesome blend. We look like the biggest science nerds in the world, like holding this up and, and doing it. But... Um, I mean, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to do that and to be able to pull all, pull all those out and talk about the similarities that we had at our program and the beers that we were had and the similarities that uh, Caleb had brought down from Upland. And there was some good tie-ins in there. I mean, you do have, um, you know, a lot of the microbes and malts, they will have similar characteristics whether they're brewed in Indiana or Tennessee, and you just tie them together, and then you throw your variations on them, whether it be barrels or fruit or spices. What do you, what do you guys think about it? It's my first time having it, so. Um, we do have one more, which uh, is three degrees north, because we're north, yep. 
We're different time zones, though, even though we're almost straight above them. I don't know what that's all about. So weird. Um, so um, for that beer, um, Three Degrees North is a blend of um, a blonde sour that uh, uh, Brandon had down at Yazoo. It's blended with 30% of our kiwi and 10% of our cherry. So I happen to have kiwi and cherry in process. Um, so um, it's kind of like a, I don't know, very, very tropical, very fruity. Um, you know, it, it's got kind of like a like nice champagne carbonation spritz to it. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it's, I don't know, kind of like a rosy, like little cocktail type uh, beer. It was really fun uh, uh, blending, blending those beers together like that. And I get to have the same reaction Caleb did on the first one because this is the first time that I've tasted this beer myself. Thank you. You guys are really the first to taste either of these beers, too. Um, you taste them at the same time the brewers did. <laughs> Neither so. one of them have la none of the bottles have labels on them. We haven't even got that far yet. So um, you're our test market. <laughs> we'll be looking at Untapped later for all the fives. So what do you guys think about this one? This one's definitely got a lot more uh, tropical funk to it than the other one did. The other one definitely relies more on the dark malts with a uh, darker, more sour funk. This is, like Caleb said, um, this one's a little brighter. Uh, the color on it, I'm actually really, I'm loving looking at this beer, actually. The uh, color definitely reminds me of a nice rosé. I guess we could go on and do some more questions. So. Some more questions? Keep, keep us chatty. I have a question. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your thought on, you know, cellaring these beers and, and just your approach to, I'm sure you have plenty of, of beers that you cellar yourself. What about the amateur, you know, cellar rat? You know, what's a good way to get started? And what are, are these beers, you know, good beers to, to put away for a couple of years? 
Yeah, we we use a, we do a lot of fruited uh, style beers, and I actually I kind of recommend that people drink them like pretty pretty quickly. Um, the fruit, just the color that's added from the fruit, as well as um, the aromas and flavors of that really really fresh fruit, see it fades over time. So um, we want it to be this really vibrant, fruity, uh, uh, sour beer. That's that's what we intended to do. Um, so laying down some of our uh, uh, fruited style uh, beers that we do is, I, I wouldn't really recommend that so much. Now we do also make, you know, Malefactor, which is about 10.5% ABV. It's like a Flanders red style ale. I, I found it that it does age okay. Um, but with all cellaring, it's kind of the seller beware because it's really up to you to make that decision. Um, but it is fun sometimes for us to check older vintages or batches uh, compared to some of the newer ones we release. Uh, we also do Sour Reserve, which is uh, kind of a goose style beer. Um, and that composition of that beer is always a three-year-old beer blended with like a one and two-year-old beer as well. So um, we have Sour Reserve one through six bottled now, and it's kind of fun when we pull those out to do a, like a vertical tasting, how those have changed over the years. Um, because that's all done really by tasting just our base blonde sour ale, picking the best of the best and blending it together. But every time we release it, it's a new blend. It's a different beer. Yes, sir. Yeah, beers can absolutely be too sour. And that's something a lot of people are, yeah, <laughs> not true. It is true. Um, we, we actually are responsible for making some really, really sour beers that we've kind of had to rein in over the years. Um, our, our kiwi is a very, very sour, um, and we've gotten that feedback that it's almost, um, it's hard for people to even share a bottle of it because it's, it's uh, just the citric acid content of kiwi itself. It just adds so much, you know, fruit sourness on top of a sour beer. So we've kind of had to rein that in by using... Uh, less soured base beer when we make kiwi so um i don't know we've been doing the, our program since gotcha. 2006 and we're still learning stuff all the time and really trying to listen to what people want out of sour beer, sour beers what they expect them to be like um because while i do a lot of dabbling and experimentation i i am by no means a um an authority on the on the industry I've, i haven't been doing it long enough honestly and that's that's almost approaching a decade of brewing sour beers. So, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a push um, by some consumers right now to have a scale similar to IBUs out there to put on labels. Um, there is you can judge it off of off of two main scales. You have pH and TA. Um, pH would be lower. TA is is higher when you measure the acidity of. So TA is more of uh, what winemakers use when they're uh, testing their must, um, which that's probably, if I had to guess, that would probably be the scale that would catch on, uh, in my opinion. Now, you know, does it have some sort of, you know, meaning? I don't know, really. I mean, you can, you know, just kind of, yeah, exactly. It gives you an idea, you know, kind of like IBUs do. Um, you know, you could definitely judge if you have a 20 IBU beer versus a what is somebody terms as a six, 60 or 70, um, you know, would tell you, you know, you're going to get super sour beer or you're, you're going to get one with some, uh, you know, acidity and probably some mild tartness in it. 
Yeah, another thing to break down acidity, if you, you know, you can get the composition of how much of a beer is uh, acetic acid, which is kind of the main component of vinegar, uh, versus lactic acid, which is a lot more, you know, pleasant, tart, tangy. Um, so that's a threshold. We, we would like to one day make that a, a definitely a sticking point. So anytime we test a, a certain level of acetic acid in our beers, we want that beer to be automatically chalked if it exceeds that threshold because right now we're doing it sensory, but I think you can, uh, you know, break it down with a really nice, you know, Anton Parr or something. So, yeah. You can do it on a gas, gas chromo, but most breweries don't have that. I think a lot of times you can judge it just based on what the actual style is. Um, you know, you can have it, it's you can have a beer that is a pH of say let's say three two, but it, let's say it's a Berliner Weiss, and that's going to be maybe a two point eight percent beer, which is not going to taste near as sour as let's say a five percent beer with the same pH level, uh, which that kind of goes into the same deal with if you had a pale ale that was hopped at 70 IBUs versus a double IPA hopped at 70 IBUs, you know, which one is going to taste more brash to you? Which one is going to get you, you know, on your tongue harder? What's well, going to be the lower alcohol because you got more hops playing in there. So it is relative all the way around, no matter what, even if we did come up with a system, it's still relative. You still need to judge it off style and what your expectations are. So going off the, um the uh, lactic acid, well, the uh, how you judge the sours. Uh -huh. um, if you guys brew a beer that is not as sour as you want want it to be, do you guys add l lactic acid or any of those um, acid if, inducers? If there's a beer that, like, that and it and it hasn't happened to me yet um, in on the Yazoo side of it. Now, when I was home brewing, um, I did add a little bit of uh, food grade lactic acid just to brighten up a beer before. Um, at Yazoo, what I would do is I would blend um, because I think if you are going to run a sour program, then you probably should keep some acidic beer on hand, some light acidic beer and some dark acidic beer to be able to blend in just to brighten it up. Um, you know, that would probably save you a lot of time and a lot of headache down the road. And I, and I think homebrewers should do the same thing. It's very easy, you know, just to make a slight, you know, just to make a lactic acid beer be very easy with just... Yeah, just, uh, you know, keep, keep a keg of it on hand. Sure. That would... Uh, he, the, the pH, he's asking about the pH of Pawpaw and uh, our, our collaboration, Three Degrees North, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, our, most of our beers, uh, the pH is definitely below, like, three and a half pH. Standard beer pH is usually 4.2, um, so we have some beers that are like down to 3.2. Um, so again, pH is a reflection. You're not really getting the what types of acids are in that composition. So um, it's a good indicator that a beer is, you know, sour. But I've actually, you know, we've we've measured a, a beer of ours before that was like 3.3, 3, and it just really doesn't have all that much uh, sour character. So it just really depends on 
where that where that acidity, the composition of the acidity. Um, and that's where TA, I think that's where TA comes in. Yeah, percentage as um, uh, acetic or percentage as lactic. Um, to be able to measure that, I think is something you really don't even worry about um, at, at the main breweries, but something that I think is gonna be a more popular standard of measurement the more we get going on it, for sure. So it's, it's kind of a new style of brewing, and so we have new measurements for it. That's, that's one way to put it. I think it. as Sour Beer draws more off of, um, or not draws more off of, we, we have drawn off of winemaking for a long time, um, but as those two worlds collide even more and more and more, um, we draw both. We draw techniques from both sides, um, you know. And there's good techniques that winemakers use that more brewers probably should be using. Um, you know, as, as barrel care, you know, winemakers have used barrels years and years and years. And we can draw a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge from a lot of good winemakers. This is a question for both of you guys. Um, what's the most offensive acidic beer you've ever tried? Because for me, it's the Kiwi Lambrick from Upland last year and the Sour Reserve from like three years ago. And I love, I loved it. I loved both of those, but I want to get both of your takes. I'm going to step back. <laughs> I, I think I already hit on that point that, yeah, that, that is valid feedback and it's, it's, some, it's something we've been addressing and we're always learning what we're doing. N no, we, we want everyone to enjoy our beers equally, so it's, uh, yeah. I know, he, I know he does, but not everybody does. <laughs> but he asked what was the most offensive one you've had. Oh, I... He's um, asking you to call out another brewery. I've been, yeah, I'm not going to call out like a specific brewery, but I, I have been. We host a Sour Wild Funk Festival um, in Indianapolis, um, which is still relatively small. It's about 1,000 people. Um, it's actually pretty good for the Midwest and, and what sours are right now. Um, um, and I've been to Avery's Sour Fest out in Boulder a few times too. So I, there are those beers there that um, probably should not have been presented. Um, so and, and I think that, that gets around with, you know, really Brewers Association and pursuing quality. And um, it's something that... Uh, People are still learning, so the education on this style of beer um, just kind of needs to get more heightened as we go along. So, um, which I, I don't know. Michael Tonsmere just released his book. That that definitely helps a lot of people having some um, more available information and advice from brewers that have been doing it for you know longer than even I have. So um, that's that's going to be an important step uh, to developing. But I originally, I, at one point, I called sour beers kind of a niche within the craft beer market. Now it's actually a pretty strong segment of the craft beer market. So with that, with that heightened production um, across many breweries, it, it's it's going to need that heightened uh, awareness about quality and in, in production of those beers. So most sour one I ever had. I'll tell you exactly who did it. He's standing right here. <laughs> And it's not this guy. It was me. And um, it was a beer that I was trying out at home. I did a um, spontaneously fermented beer when I was trying out, and it was god-awful. And it was offensive, and it was extremely sour, and it tasted like nail polish. And it went down the drain. And it was, uh, it was about 15 gallons. And in homebrew world, that's a, that's a lot. Um, so there's my answer. 
It was me. I have a question for you. It's a little bit more philosophical, but it might kind of build on what well, you're talking about. This sounds fun. Well, it's, a, <laughs> it's about, are you, are you pioneering American sour beer style? Are you also trying to honor sort of the Belgian tradition at the same time? And do you work with, do you, do you try to achieve the Belgian style as like a benchmark? Or do you sort of like work with what you're given with nature and the resources that you have around you to craft this style? Or do you, are you really pioneering a, a true American style sour beer? I would say for me, it's both. I know that that probably doesn't answer what you're looking, that's probably not the answer you're looking for. But I think that, Again, you have, the, you have this benchmark of what the great Lambic producers have done. You have the benchmark of what Rodenbach has done. Um, you have this, you know, you have this style that is accepted. They've done this for hundreds of years, and they make just incredible beer on this ancient equipment, and they do it consistently, year in and year out. So you, you do, you strive to do that, However, you don't want to just clone what somebody else has done. I mean, that's not, I mean, where's the fun in that? I'm mean, not saying we could clone, we could clone what Cantillon is doing. We, we couldn't do that. It's, it, that's in their flora. So we, tr we do what, we do our best to put a nice spin on it, to make it, you know, I, I wouldn't even say we're trying to make something American. We're just trying to make what we do. We're trying to make Yazoo beer. You know, I feel like he's trying to make Upland beer. Yeah, we, from the outset for us, we were always trying to replicate um, kind of traditional Belgian brewing process. Um, but just the nature, I mean, we're, we're an American brewery, so um, just the nature of what we're trying to replicate, we're still, we're still located in, you know, southern Indiana. So um, I, um, most of what I've work, been working with has been Belgian-inspired type beers. Uh, we just recently did our first kind of Brett experiment, 100% Brett fermentations. That's something that's kind of really avid in American sour brewing. I would say that's that's unique um, uh, to the to the world. Um, Definitely. Uh, and really, um, yeah, that's a good question. Like, uh, I think philosophically, we try to follow long aging processes to get our sour derived flavors. So. Everything that we make spends months in oak barrels to develop the sourness, and that's that's our philosophy on how we make beer, which is not too dissimilar from uh, traditional uh, Belgian sour brewers. Um, but there's a lot of folks out there innovating and developing sour-flavored beers in uh, various other ways. So um, that that's as Americans, we like to innovate, we like to push the limits, try new things. Um, I'm really proud that we use a lot of uh, kind of locally produced uh, uh, produce. That, that for me is uh, kind of another philosophy we try to stick with is uh, kind of try to keep it at home. Um, again, we make kiwi, <laughs> a kiwi sour too, which is kind of not local, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, most of the things we're driving after is to try to use uh, produce from uh, at least Michigan, Ohio, and our surrounding states to Indiana. So. I think is if you're drawing inspiration and you're putting your own twist on something, um, you know, that, that's where the fun of this is. And that's where you get to be adventurous, you get to try new things, and some things just don't work. Um, you know, it's, I, I really like the science of 
microbes and the science of brewing. And, you know, one of the, something I heard one time was that one of the greatest things you could ever hear from a scientist was, hmm, well, I didn't expect that. So that's the fun of it. I mean, you might not get the results you expect based upon, you know, a certain point, but you might be able to create something better. And like Caleb said, you know, we try to be innovative with it and try to push the limits, whereas you do have the older breweries that are doing the same thing they've done for years, and they're making world-class beer. They're making what we set, what the litmus test is for that style. Should we get one more and then uh, jump back out into the, to the crowd, or you guys had more going on? Yeah, we could do one more, and then uh, maybe we'll, uh, My voice is we'll hang around, back, so too, good. if you guys want to get talk chatty now. Two questions, but you can answer one or two. Um, one is, uh, do you ever mix hops? So do you make like a bitter and sour combination? And then the second is, are there any synergies between sourdough bread making and this, right? I don't know if people have tried, brewers have tried to get into sourdough bread making as well. I don't know if I can answer the, bre the bread question. Um, well, the... Just a little hint on the bread, on the bread thing. Um, there's a brewery out in San Francisco, Almanac, that makes a really good sourdough uh, beer. Uh, we did one for a, a festival at Yazoo one time with a uh, bread maker. Uh, they had this, uh, this culture of sourdough from uh, Provence that was, they told me it was close to 100 years old that uh, we did a one-off beer from. And uh, you know, it was a nice beer, it was interesting. Um, it's, I mean, I know a lot of people that do take some, um, some cultures from bottles and they make beer, I mean, they make bread with the, uh, with the cultures. Um, I haven't tasted any of them, but they're foodies, so they probably know what they're talking about. And uh, as far as a, you know, hop, hopped uh, sour, um, I don't think New Belgium has it here, but, um, and I'm gonna mispronounce it because I'm a Hoosier, but uh, <laughs> it's Le Terroir. Yeah, Le Terroir. Um, did I get it? Got it. Nailed it. Crushed it. Boom. Um, but it's a it's a very hop hop forward sour beer, and it's it's literally fantastic. It's really uh, uh, it's a it's a, one of their sour beers, and most of most of uh, their sour program is definitely inspired by La Terroir. Now La Terroir. I'm, now I'm butchering it. Yeah, La Terroir. They, they without getting too much on another brewery, they have. Basically, what they do is they have a dark beer and a light beer that they sour. One of them's Oscar, one of them's Felix. La Terroir is their pale beer, Felix, dry hopped. And and usually these beers are not hopped all that heavily. Heavily, um, lactobacillus, for uh, for example, is is uh, not very hop tolerant. So if you actually want to derive some lactic acid production out of that microorganism, uh, the more hops you add, the more it's going to disable its ability to sour the beer. So that, that all flows back to, you know, original, one of the married ingredients in brewing became hops because it does have some antimicrobial uh, properties to them um, for things that you, you know, except for Saccharomyces or brewer's yeast, which is very hop tolerant. So, um, but Brett, hoppy Brett beers are kind of a fun thing yeah. too. That's, sure. that's being explored pretty readily. The, uh, one of the, the actually the, uh, 
sour that is in this portion of it that, that we sent um, will actually come out in Nashville and next week, I think. And um, we actually dry hopped it with uh, Citra and Mosaic. So that was kind of our spin on uh, dry hop sour, which I think it goes really well together, depending on, especially when you start using the uh, variations of Britannomyces that will throw a lot of pineapple and mango in there. It's just a natural fit for those juicy hops. And when you dry hop, you get all the aroma in there. It just seems to kick it up a notch. And once you drop, uh, a funny thing happens with uh, some strains of Britannomyces is when you do drop the pH of it, it, it does start creating those more tropical flavors as opposed to the leathery, footy flavors that, that you can get. So you can have the exact, strain, exact same variation of Britannomyces you drop the pH, they just perform different ways. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like humans. You go outside when it's 70 degrees, you're probably going to run a lot more and have a lot more fun outside. You go outside and it's 20 degrees, you're not going to, you know, be as active. You're going to perform different. That's what I meant to say. Killer. I want to thank you guys for coming and trying these beers that uh, we were lucky enough to put together together. So... Uh, yeah. Please give it up for them, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. One more. One more what? One more question. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2015, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2015 as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com. <laughs>